you know in Urdu basically if it's half one or like say uh, 1.30 they have a technical term for it which is oh, abhi der bajrai which means like it's half one now but instead of saying half one they say der which is like the technical word for half one I used to ask my teachers and my parents why do we say der or dhai which is half one and half two instead of just saying 1.30 or 2.30 To be honest, since this day, like, no one has been able to answer me that. And that's why, even when I'm speaking Urdu, instead of saying dare or die, I still say half one and half two. Until someone gives me an uh, adequate explanation behind why that is the case, I'm not going to conform to that. I'm fine. I'm fine. And I'm और ये मेरा बेटा है जैन जिसका नाम है जैन फिलॉसोफर हम लोग इसको जैन फिलॉसोफर बोलते हैं और ये हम लोगों से हेयर इज माय मॉम हर नेम इज सालिहा बताती थी कि सूरज इसलिए निकलता है दिन में तो नहीं तो व्हेन आई वाज अ किड आई वाज अ काइंड ऑफ किड हु वाज कांस्टेंटली आस्किंग क्वेश्चंस अबाउट एवरीथिंग डू फिश एवर फील थर्स्टी ये क्या बच्चा मुझसे सवालत टू माय टीचर्स टू माय पेरेंट्स टू माय ब्रदर टू माय फ्रेंड्स How do I know I'm not dreaming? I was just super curious and maybe a bit annoying. Why am I right-handed when my brother is left-handed? Where does the world end? Why do dogs bark but cats meow? रात में निकलना चाहिए मुझसे इतने सवाल क्यों पूछता है? हम लोग कहीं भी जाते थे हमें I think that's why my family and my friends used to call me the why child. Where do we go when we die? Why do I ask so many questions? Why does everything have to have a beginning? My name is Zain. I spent the first half of my life in Karachi, Pakistan. Karachi was very hot, dusty and alive. When my body's sweating, is that my muscles crying? It's so loud and chaos and hectic there. Why doesn't the sun come out at night? As soon as you walk out in Karachi, you can just hear the horns everywhere. There is a lot of motorbikes. There's rickshaws. You know the buses in Pakistan like I don't know how to describe it, but they're so colorful and artistic. You know the conductor would just be hanging outside screaming the different locations they're going. One of the best things about Karachi was the food there especially the street food chicken karahi just thinking about it <laughs> why does sun have such a high brightness why is yellow yellow why is water wet uh, sugar cane as well mangoes and fresh fruit and they would literally just make it right on the spot alu lelo teen dabbe wale We had a very nice house in Karachi. I would hear my friends shouting my name outside the window. Zain, baharao. Zain, jaldi. And then we would have a massive cricket match, you know, outside in the compound. If you hit the ball too hard, you would end up breaking someone's window. And then we'd we'd all get told off. We'd all try running away. 
you know, we'd hear the sound of Maghrib, which is one of the prayers, and that, that kind of resembles when it's getting dark. Why can't I see God? Do I have free will? Does every question need to have an answer? We'd all go in because it was so dusty. Which the first thing we'd have to do is, you know, wash our feet, wash our face. It's a thing which I haven't done for now, like for 14 years. When I was 12 year old, we took a plane to the UK for a holiday. We arrived in 2008, you know, with my family, my mom, dad, my brother. We came on a visit visa and uh, we were really looking forward to it because this was just another holiday to come and see our family in the UK. One of the things I first noticed was that there was no dust around, whereas in Karachi it was just so dusty. And because I've got like very sensitive skin, I just used to be sneezing all the time. And uh, when I came to the UK, I was just like breathing in and out. And I was like, oh wow, the air feels way fresher. And then I just remembered seeing black cabs, you know, some things which we used to see on the TV when we were in Pakistan, getting on the black cab, going to my, my dad's sister. Yeah, you know, surprising her. Like we went to her house, stayed with her, seeing my cousins. It was just fun. It was like, you know, just as a kid, as a 12 year old, being in a no novel environment, being in the UK, having fun with my cousins, you know, lighthearted stuff. <laughs> then one day I woke up. It was this bright summer day. When I went downstairs, you know, looking forward to having toast and British tea, kind of, I realized that something was off and uh, my dad was just like, uh, I wanted to tell you one thing. As a very curious child, <laughs> if there is some mystery, you know, I, I just always get very enthusiastic and I was like, yeah, 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 sure, 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 tell me. My dad was just like, we won't be going back to Pakistan because it's not safe for us to go back. My dad was this kind, hardworking, very generous person, but he was like a <laughs> reserved brown dad. There wasn't much chat about like our feelings when, you know, he told me this. I'd say like, even at that moment, I couldn't grasp, you know, what that meant. My dad knew that he needed to find a solicitor to process a claim in the UK. When my dad, you know, made the call to the solicitor, the solicitor spoke to him in such a nice tone, so friendly, spoke to him in Urdu. Everything's going to be okay, you know, just trust me, it's fine, don't stress about it. That solicitor was referred to my dad by one of his friends and my dad was just so relieved after that, that, you know, there's a route, things are going to be okay. He asked my dad for like a big sum of money, I'd say more than 2k from what I remember. And that, that was literally everything we had. And my dad just gathered everything, paid him that money. 
and then he told my dad they're like you know what now you have to wait i'm gonna send you a letter we received this letter from him and uh we have submitted the application for you guys and you know you and your kids and your wife uh, will get your status and then if there's any problem contact me when you're going through such a traumatic stressful time and you know your reality everything is just shaken we we didn't even know from what i remember what asylum was you know all these different distinctions and nuances of humanitarian protection asylum what is an asylum seeker what is a refugee what does reporting mean what are my rights we just knew that we needed to submit an application am i allowed to work and our life was in danger our safety was threatened am i allowed to drive and uh, we won't be able to go back am i allowed to travel that's all we knew am i allowed to walk who am i where will i live what what's my place in this world is there a purpose to suffer what is the purpose of living who deserves protection why is this happening to me you know who am i am i a good refugee am i a good asylum seeker am i worthy do i deserve this and uh, yeah from then on that is when we went on this 7 year journey 7 plus 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 year journ
No, I went to beast keeping school. <laughs> okay, I want you to tell me the story about going to bee keeping school. <laughs> oh, I don't know what got into me. I was pregnant actually with Katrina. Uh, my uh, favorite writer is Maxim Gorky. We have to speak about Dostoevsky. If we talk about Russian literature, Voltaire, classic writers, they have a way of like portraying things which I like, and the kind of language. Well, they I use. just run uh, because it keeps me fit, and as I said, uh, you feel the freedom, you know. But let me tell you, I have a lot of admirers. <laughs> I felt like, oh my God, who had, who is he? I just want to talk to him. First world war, in the first world war, we took many thousands more than we're considering now. There is a rich and vast culture of sayings in South American countries. One of my favorite is "de que vuelan vuelan." I don't believe in witches, but if they fly, they fly. You're assuming that migrants are coming into steel jobs. No, I'm not. Is it working yet? Yeah, yeah. Fantastico. Do you want to be on the microphone? You've already been on the microphone, haven't you? Yes. No, you guys. Okay, go on then. Okay, so the questions are: What is your name? Sunny, sunny. And how old are you? Three. Three? Yes. <laughs> Do you have anything that you want to tell people listening listening to the recording? Um, yes. What is that then? I want to go to the show and, and, and I want a new bag. So don't go put your marks on it. Sorry. Well, I must you to be. I'm so, I'm so. High five. Great. You're both little radio producers now. High five. How we sort out the genuine refugees. Refugees, 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 refugees. What is the face of an asylum seeker? There is no face of an asylum Because you could be an asylum seeker. It's misinformation. But it's been sold for so long that it's engraved into the psyche. So we have some ways to go to re-educate. I think this notion of, you know, being a good refugee or a good asylum seeker and why people deserve safety, it can become very toxic very fast. In the coverage of Ukrainian crisis, you know, sometimes when I've been looking at the news, uh, some of the journalists has been saying that uh, I can't believe how these white people with green eyes are basically, you know, going through such a hard time and, you know, we need to be very empathetic and compassionate towards them. To be honest, I'm really grateful for people being open to, you know, the Ukrainians and helping out them but there wasn't the same energy you know when it came to so many other conflicts and wars that has happened for decades and decades you know the Syria conflict the Iranian conflict and Afghanistan and 
there's so many other others like that and when you see openly people talking about and prioritizing people just because of the skin color and the eyes color it was very like saddening for me to see and i just hope that that kind of love is just you know expanded to just all humans because at the end of the day we all feel the same things you know we all feel the same pain and it'd be great for us to kind of operate from this place of openness and receptivity after a few years in the uk when i was about to turn 18 you know uh, i worked so hard in my a levels i used to wake up sometimes half 6 so i can get to uh, my college to make it to my lessons i'd say even even those days english wasn't you know my first language but regardless of the cultural shock i was facing and all the struggles which we were going through i just put my head down i did exceptional in my a levels and you know i start questioning what is my status and how uh, you know next steps of my career because it was time for me to apply for universities my dad told me that you know he's going to call the solicitor when we call the solicitor solicitor completely changed his tone he was like i didn't say any of this who are you guys and then my dad was like we've been waiting for 7 7 and a half years we decided to allocate a day and then we all went to the office in london however once we went to london we found out that the office has been shut down he wasn't there after a few months of calling him trying to try to chase him up we randomly receive a call from the solicitor that i am in birmingham and uh, i want you guys to come and collect your file but you'll have to pay around 500 my dad basically he said to me and my brother go collect the money from someone because we didn't have that much cash on us and we literally borrowed that from someone and that solicitor literally just came stopped the car gave us the file took the money and just went without any explanation or anything because we were in such a vulnerable situation and we felt scared and frightened we didn't even have the courage to you know confront him we we decided to go to one of the solicitors in Birmingham and after going to him he kind of explained to us that you know the solicitor completely lied to us and this is a common thing which has been happening and uh, we found out that the solicitor did that to a lot of other vulnerable individuals and uh, he didn't apply for any case at all and all those time we had no application at all you know he just essentially ran away with our money and uh, that fully like shook our world like that moment of finding out that oh it was all a lie and uh, it it was massive to be to be honest i feel like that moment fully changed me because i saw my dad being such a nice person trying always to go out of his way to help people it made me like see that oh you know this is why you can't trust people and from then on it just became that like survival you know threatened and out of fear that i do need to question everything otherwise what if i get betrayed again for me like you know the first thing that popped up to my head was that like oh so does that mean now i can't go to university 
and all this fantasy you know like all these plans i had with my friends about oh we're gonna do this subject together we're gonna go do go to these uni events join these societies join the football team and have this uni life together i was just like thinking about that that like you know i worked so hard to like get these grades now all of that might just go to waste again and to be honest that was one of the hardest time i'd say in my life because i was just like come on man like i genuinely worked so hard and it was just all taken away from me and i'd say i lost all my motivation to do anything because you know like initially i was saying that i was such a curious person and i i just always had this proactive attitude at that point i was just like you know what there is no point literally there's no point at all why should i do anything and uh, to be honest i just gave up i just used to cry i just used to feel vulnerable and uh, i just feel sad <laughs> Let's just take a break. I just need a minute and then I'll be back. It's okay. It's good I'm crying it out because probably there is repressed emotions. So when I'm talking about it, it's just yeah. coming out, which, which is good. So as asylum seeker, I'm not eligible to apply for student finance. You know, like people say that, oh, hard work pays off and it's never going to go to waste and like that kind of thing. Th that is what I was told. But yeah, then I just came to the realization that just because of my immigration status, none of that actually matters. What matters is just how my immigration status affects my identity, it affects my rights. And it was just very suffocating because it was something which was outside of my control. It's Roxana, a girl with a million dreams, but not being able to fulfill any because of the condition she's in. A captive, waiting for something to happen in her life. It's been nearly 10 years When I came here, I arrived with passion, with plans to do something. I came here with dreams, with enthusiasm, but in the period of time, I lost many. I wonder, when did we stop? When did you stop dreaming? When did you stop dreaming of tomorrow? When did your ambitions stop? When did your dreams stop? And when will you know when to start? Will you know where to start? I, I wonder, I, I wonder 
are we going to be still the same people who stopped now that we're coming out on the other side? Because it's like going through a tunnel, a dark tunnel. Who are you when you walked in? Who are you when you come out of that dark tunnel? Every year, regardless of my status, I would still, you know, pay £35 to UCAS and, you know, write my personal statement, just hoping that, oh, this year I might be able to go to University of Leeds or this year I might be able to go to Queen's Mary or my status might change and I would be able to finally go to university. However, like literally every year, I would take an L and uh, every year, like, it would just hit me harder. During those times, I watched one of the Anthony Joshua fight and uh, after when Anthony Joshua beat Klitschko in one of his interviews, he said that if I can do it, anyone can do it. And I found that interview very inspiring. I started boxing. I've never did boxing. I had no history in boxing in my life. No, like I kind of like become attuned to my old self again. I had a fight in front of 1,000 people in King Power Stadium where I generated seven, around £7,000 for Cancer Research UK. You know, in my boxing fight, when I was getting hit by that person, it was literally feeling like nothing because it kind of just resembled one of the defeats I was just taking from home office or from my uni scholarships or from all these different, you know, restrictions that was imposed onto me. So I kind of just became numb to it at that point. Then I said to myself, Zane, you are better than all of this. And even though the system is structured in a way where it's marginalizing me, I'm not going to let the system basically dictate my mood. I'm not going to let the system control what I do, why I feel happy. And I was just like, you know what, I can go and do what, what I can, like even though the system and you know the way the law is structured is to like repress me and to isolate me, I'm like, I'm still gonna do what I can to stand up against it. Because I've got like direct first and experiences, I can speak other languages and uh, it'd be nice to, you know, help others and make use of my time. I was volunteering at the Red Cross and uh, I would come in, you know, deal with some of the clients and going about my day. And I received a call from a private number. Someone from Nottingham Trent University called me and they said, oh, we've got good news for you. And to be honest, during those days, good news wasn't actually good news. So I, I, st I was so pessimistic, like I was like, oh, OK, and dismissive that, oh, what can that be like? And then oh, they told me that they are willing to offer me a full paid scholarship to go to university and generally like because I was so closed off it wasn't even landing I, I, I wasn't even like grasping what they were saying and I, I literally <laughs> I remember I literally made them swear down <laughs> that it's, this is true <laughs> and they actually saw down that oh no it's actually true and then literally I just had tears in my eyes I couldn't stop crying I remember going back to my staff and I, I just had such a big smile on my face 
literally everyone just got up they hugged me and they were just so happy and I, I felt like I was with the the best people I could be at that time because those were the people who were like helping me unconditionally regardless of my status regardless of what I was bringing to the table they were just there because they were valuing my intrinsic worth of being a human instead of like an instrumental worth uni was just very sick to be honest meeting so many people from different cultures international students going to parties and different uni events you know joining the football team with my friends and making so many connections learning more about philosophy and global studies and i just felt like i was at the right place now finally and yeah i was just so grateful that i was finally able to graduate with the first class honors during those days obviously bearing in mind and i was still living on 35 pound a week and i i could i still couldn't afford laptops so i had to like kind of prioritize you know what i can do like literally i had to like fully hustle my friends they were able to you know secure their placements or jobs straight away however obviously because i was still going through the asylum process that meant that oh you know still getting this first class honors doesn't mean nothing because i can't work i can't use my degree to do anything so then again you know a different struggle a different obstacles and like it was just relentless it would just never stop even when you think you've kind of like got some relief after literally a day or two of relief like the the story of uh, the life of a asylum seeker is that it's just relentless i live in in a process in a completely frozen process which is doesn't make any sense or any movement to to help my life just to progress all my neighbors uh, know that I'm a science seeker and I, I think I'm labeled as actually it's not think I'm yeah I'm completely uh, labeled as a science seeker a single mom the strange lady the the lonely lady so it's give me actually a bad feeling because I I feel I, I need to just to to confess to others I'm a normal person but my my situation is not normal yeah and maybe at that time some of my nicknames will change to to better ones who knows maybe I will be like again a teacher or a master student or uh, yeah who knows When I was going through all of this, I used to just put my headphones in and listen to this track called Experience by Ludovico Einardi. And it would just put me in this transcendental state which would help me, you know, just see the world from a peaceful perspective and just appreciate the beauty around me. If living your life is a question, this big open-ended hopefulness about what is possible for you in the world then just being an asylum seeker answers that question for you and in a way that can be really restrictive not just because you can't work or study 
but because people will have this preconceived idea of who you are and that can be very difficult to escape but I should get to answer the question of my own life I'll describe myself as Ngozi. Hi everyone. My name is Alvina. My name is Annie. I'm Roxana. Shafi. My name is Diamond. I am Neloa Rangel from Venezuela. This is Rima. Have you ever wondered what does it really mean to be you? I'm also a human rights activist with an organization called Restoration Because I'm a very family person and I like people around me. I tried hard just to be involved in many volunteer works and to be honest, yes, I am someone, you know, who graduated with the first class honours in philosophy. You know, I'm working on a nationwide project with MPs to refine our system. And there are other asylum seekers, you know, who are coming from a different walk of life, like me, with so many talents and unique gifts. I've, I've worked very hard to get to where I was. We have immense luggage. Determined to reach my goal and be able to work as a doctor in the United However, before all my accolades and titles, you and me are someone who deserves to have respect, dignity and love, regardless of our achievements and titles, sex, nationality and immigration status. You know, I heard politicians say that the system is broken. But what I'd like to say is that the system is breaking us. I always say this, I don't want to be ungrateful, but the fact is, like the home of us just holding a remote control, pressing it every now and then. Like the UK is the, is the safest place for me to run to. But we decide who we are. I'm a great mother, a dependable friend. I was somebody very patient and I always have hope. I am a terrible singer, but I said, ah, that doesn't matter, I'll be at the back. <laughs> I'm not just an asylum seeker. We have voices and it's time to listen to them. I'm not in this alone and I'm not the only one struggling. So I have to be strong for, for myself. They don't want you to give them money. They want you to give them the right to work. Let them make the money themselves and pay back taxes. They need to, the to give us opportunities for connectivity, education. The right to, to challenge the negative stereotypes. I challenge people to think beyond what they see or hear. Give me the ability to be a human being. Will empower the public and the government to understand the stories of refugees and asylum seekers and to stand with them to change the policies. Now for us to you know gather together, you know, stand up for those who are marginalised and you know utilise the platform that is given to us to make a positive change. I want to finish off by a quote of Muhammad Gandhi. The true measure of society can be found how it treats its most vulnerable members. You are going to be free to, to dream or free to do or free to be
you have been listening to the episode 6 of We Are Voices produced by me Zain Hafiz aka the white child aka the philosopher you also heard contributions from other producers in the We Are Voices team our senior producers are Bridey Addison Child and Jude Shapiro We Are Voices is an award-winning series that explores life in the UK asylum system Go and listen to our previous episodes to hear more stories from the team and learn from our lived experience. We Are Voices was made by the Voices Network in collaboration with the British Red Cross and supported by players of People's Postcode Lottery. The Voices Network is an independent organization that shares the voices and personal views of refugees and asylum seekers. 